This is Dental All-Stars, where we bring you the best in dentistry on marketing, management, and training. Here's your host, Alex Nottingham. Welcome to another edition of Dental All-Stars. I would like to share with you an excerpt of a study club I did with Larry Gazzardo called Benchmarks of Personal Financial Success. Take a listen. Welcome to Study Club. As always, Larry Gazzardo, All-Star Dental Academy's head instructor, <coughs> super consultant, and Dawson uh, instructor amongst many, many, many other accolades. But we just like him because he's our head instructor. He's awesome. So Larry Gazzardo, you're going to talk to us about benchmarks of personal financial success. And before you begin, this is actually one of the uh, lectures or the topics that when I first met Larry many years ago, we were looking for, we had Heather, the great phone skills guru on that side. We needed somebody who knew everything else, scheduling, practice management, the whole nine yards. Um, and so we basically took every course Larry offered at the FNDC meeting. Um, Heather took all the practice management stuff. I took all the marketing. And I took this one. Uh, with Larry. It was very impressive. So I wanted him to bring it back, a blast from the past. Uh, so Larry, I'm going to kind of duck out on my webcam. I'll come back for Q&A, and you'll talk about benchmarks for personal financial success. So so my screen is showing here? Yes, sir. Okay, so so we're good. You know, it's, it's technology, so I never know exactly, <laughs> exactly what's happening. Uh, this, this is, again, just another one of those topics that um, you just can't seem to talk enough about, um, you know, knowing what the benchmarks are of personal financial success. And I'd like to make it easy for everybody because I think everything we do in our life is so complicated anyway. We don't, we don't need to have to make being uh, financially successful or, or having enough finances. We don't need to make, we don't need to make that complicated. Um, and so I know we have a mix of dentists that are listening tonight. I know that there are also some uh, staff members there. I'm, I'm talking to both of you. And so for the dentists who are here, um, I want you to take this information, and I'd like you to bring it back to your staff. And the reason i like you to help them with these things is because no matter how much you pay them, it isn't going to make any difference if they're not financially stable. And, and we know when there's not financial stability in the home, it creates an enormous amount of stress and it's a big distraction to employees. So I'd like you to be able to help them. I know it's a little bit outside the scope of, of, of dentistry and it's outside the scope of, of managing an employee, but, but I think as time goes by, we're going to find ourselves having to take up more and more of this role of things that maybe they didn't learn when they were younger or perhaps nobody ever taught them before. And so when we find them in the workplace, we realize, you know, there's, there's things that are keeping them from being their best at work. And this is going to be one of them. And I think as leaders, we're going to have to be better at teaching them um, some of these things on, on how to live their life better. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the benchmarks of, of personal financial success. And again, I don't want to make it complicated. I think most of you probably know who this guy is. Uh, and if you don't, this is the famous football coach, uh, Vince Lombardi. And he said something that I really, really like. And he said, you know, if you're not keeping score, you are just practicing. 
So we don't, we don't want to practice uh, with our lives. Uh, the whole world isn't made out of money, and money's not the most important thing in the world. But we all know that when we're struggling financially, if we're not able to take care of ourselves, it's, it's going to interfere with the enjoyment uh, that we're going to have for our, our, our life. Um, some of you, I think, uh, know this guy. Let's see if I can get my computer to work right. Yep, okay, some of you, you, you know me. I say, you know what, everything's a lot more fun when you can afford it. And believe it or not, with savings, you can afford lots. You know, it's amazing how much money you have when it's all yours and you don't owe it to somebody else. So I, I will admit I've got a bias in talking about all of this, and that bias is towards savings because if you have enough savings, there's a lot that you can do. Um, I don't say this to you because I am the total expert and I know everything, but I will say that I made a lot of stupid mistakes in this area in, in my life, and it wasn't until I sat down with people who knew a little bit more about it than I did, and then I actually took their advice. Um, I have found some financial stability in my life, and it is very calm <laughs> and is very, very relaxing uh, uh, for me. So I'm, I'm really glad, you know what I mean, that I, I found some people who can help me with it. But you can afford a lot uh, when you don't owe it to other people. All right, so I know that there's something here on the bottom of my screen that is supposed to help me click and move forward. There it is. Okay. All right, so the first thing I would ask everybody to do is determine your own personal operating overhead. Uh, this is important because when you don't know what you owe or if you don't know what you can afford, as I said earlier, no matter how much you make, you're not going to make enough. And that's going to be a big struggle for you. So what I want to help you do today is give you a very, very simple budget that everybody uh, can follow. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that word, budget, you know. And I know the government doesn't understand anything that I'm going to say to you right now because they spend more than they can make. And for us individually, that isn't going to work. We've got to learn to either spend less than we make, or we've got to make more than we spend. Um, but we need to know how much is appropriate for us to spend. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a budget. And you may play around with the numbers. Some of you may decide, I'm going to spend a little bit more. Maybe in other areas, I'll spend a little bit less. But the idea is that you give yourself a budget, and it's something that you can follow. And, and I remember when I had to sit down with my wife, and we had to get out the calculator and the pencil and the paper, and we sat down at the kitchen table, and we looked at our income, and, and what were we willing to spend? And it was, it's, it's not a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's not an enjoyable thing to do. But I'll tell you, and, and my wife was a lot better at it than I was as far as following a budget, but when we got onto a budget, it, it, it started to become fun for us, you know, because we realized, like, not only are we saving money, but now that money that we've been saving, that money is making money. And it will get to a point in your savings where your savings will make more than you actually put into it. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a good way to go. We've got a pretty good deal here in the United States. There's a lot of things that don't work the way that maybe we want to work it, but we've got a good system like that. And, and for some of us who may not be aware, you know, not every country in the world has a banking system like we do, where you can put money in the bank and that money will make money for you. 
Not everybody has that opportunity that we have. So I'm going to show you this evening how you can take advantage of it. And so it does require budgeting, and budgeting requires discipline, and it also requires patience. So along with my bias for savings, I also have a bias for the fact that I would like to end my career. I would like to maybe get towards the end of my life, but, but I really want to be able to enjoy it. You know, I think in America we've got it all flip-flopped. You know, we tell people, spend it now, you know, because you're not going to have it when you're older. And they were right. You're not going to have it when you're older if you spend it all when you're young. Just like we tell young people, well, eat it now, you know, because you won't be able to eat it later. But what we forget is everything that we ate up until about age 35 starts to take advantage of us uh, at some point. And now we might regret, I wish I would have never did that all those years ago. We have to remember that when we're younger, or as young as we can be, but while we're younger, that's the time to get started on a budget. That's the time to get started because, you know, with your savings, because it's not going to be the amount that you save. It's going to be how long you save it for. So, so I, I want to help you with a budget because the sooner you get on a budget, the sooner you'll actually learn to live within your means. And if you can live within your means, it'll give you the opportunity to save, and that savings will allow you to earn more. And I'll, I'll, I'll show you how. But let's just start with your basic lifestyle expenses. And I'm talking about what's the minimum um, that you need to be able to spend every month. And so if we start off with something like housing, I think you should you know, have some place where you're comfortable and some place that you're safe. However, for most of us, we shouldn't be taking out a mortgage that's maybe more than two times our net income or, or maybe, I'm sorry, our mortgage payments every year shouldn't be more than two times our net income or maybe 20% of our net income. So we have to decide whether we could afford a mortgage that year, you know, those payments, or, or maybe we should continue to rent. Um, I don't think renting is a bad idea if it allows you to afford where you live and it still frees up some of your cash so that you can do other things with it. So if you become house poor, which is really popular for a long, long time, what happened to those folks is they spent all their money on, on a house and it took away their opportunity for them to actually save money. So I'm talking about an amount that I know most people can afford, 20%. And if, if that's what they stuck to, it will free them up to have money for other things. And I'll, I'll talk to you about what those things are. <clears throat> so if, if, if we're looking at your basic lifestyle expenses, I think food is important and you have to eat well. So if you're going to eat at home, you'll probably get away with a budget of about 10%. Um, I put a lot in there because I want you to buy good quality food. I think if you eat better, uh, you'll find that uh, you're going to enjoy the quality of life that you're going to have. You're going to be healthier. Um, a lot of people in our country suffer from diseases that are totally lifestyle related, you know, because we didn't eat well and we didn't exercise and we didn't get plenty of sleep. I know it all sounds boring, but where it pays off is when we need it most, and that's when we get older. That's when you want to do it. So I put 10% in the budget for eating at home. If you're eating away from home, hey, it eats up a lot more of your budget. It's going to take about 30% more. And so you'll end up spending about 13% if you eat 
um, uh, away from the home. My recommendation is that spending time with your family and preparing yourself for a meal, I know I'm sounding a little bit preachy here, um, but that's part of the whole discipline. If you can eat at home, you're going to eat better, and you're probably going to eat higher quality food. Uh, that's going to be healthier for you. Um, I think you need to keep up your clothes. We're, we're professionals, and so we do have to have a, a, a wardrobe. I think that you should buy the best uh, that you can find. You don't need a lot of clothes if it's good quality and it fits you. You know, you don't, you don't need a lot because whatever you wear is always going to look good on you. Um, I would also recommend that you don't plan to just go out and buy a new wardrobe because if you buy everything all new at one time, then yeah, you know what's going to happen. All at one time, you're going to need something else. And so it's tough to afford it. But if you allocate about 3% of your net income and uh, you put that towards clothing, then um, you're always buying a little bit of something. Maybe a new shirt, perhaps a tie, a sport coat. Uh, for a woman, maybe you're buying a skirt or a pair of pants, um, a pair of shoes. I would buy the best quality that you could find, and it will last the longest. It'll be the most comfortable, and you're always going to look good in it. And so I feel like even if though you might be wearing some of the same things, if you always look good in it, what difference does it make? It always bothered me when my wife would buy a great-looking dress, and she really would look good in it, and then would feel like, oh, I've already worn that a few times. I can't wear it again. I'm like, why? You look fantastic. I would wear that dress every day, you know? And so it, it was, she, she, again, she's much better about those things than I ever have been. Um, but if it's good quality, keep wearing it. You'll always look good. Uh, transportation is going to be important. That's part of your basic lifestyle expenses. So we have to remember uh, transportation also includes maintenance. Uh, we've got to be able to afford to maintain that car. It's going to need new tires. It'll need brakes. It's going to need oil changes. How expensive is all of that for you? And the reason why I bring that into play is because many of us buy cars, unfortunately, that we can't afford. Um, they're they're higher-end cars, and so they're very, very expensive to maintain. And so here's the problem. We bought the car, but we can't afford to maintain it. So because of it, we don't keep it as long as we should. Or, or maybe it keeps us in a cycle of renting a car, you know, because we, we figured in if I have this car three or four years, by the time it really starts to need any major repairs, I'll be turning it in. But what you have to remember is that's keeping you in that cycle of constantly buying, I'm sorry, renting a new car and constantly having a payment. Many people just have it in their mind that they're going to have a car payment. Well, if it's a cheap, low, low, low car payment, maybe that isn't so much of a problem. But we have to remember, cars are built really well these years and, and these days. And so it's not unusual for a car to have a, 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 a useful life of six, seven, maybe even eight years. I, I know when we were getting to our own personal financial you know, areas, I drove a car for 13 years. Um, you know, at the time, I wished I didn't have to do it, but it's what I felt I needed to do to get to where I want to go. I will admit I'm not exactly a car person either, so it didn't bother me to uh, drive a car that long. But you know what? I had friends who wouldn't get in my car because they thought it was too old, it wasn't looking good, it did make some funny noises and things like that. But I realized the longer I could, you know, drive this car, uh, the quicker I could get out of debt and I could start to save money. 
So I want you to be smart about what you think you can afford. And, and that's probably going to be about 8% of your net income. And remember, that 8% includes the maintenance. I want you to buy something that you can afford and, uh, and maintain, because if you can maintain it, you can keep it longer. And so if you pay for it over four years, but you keep it eight, well, you see where I'm going. You know what I mean? That means that you've got four years that you're literally driving that car for free. Um, I, I, I know in my own personal journey, I drove that car for 13 years, but um, I paid it off in four, and then I had nine years where I didn't have car payments. But I'm a nerd, I'll admit it, but we were, we were really disciplined and, and, and really wanted to get someplace. So for nine years, nine years, and my wife did the same thing uh, when she got her car, for nine years, we still made that monthly payment, but we made it to a private uh, personal account of our own. So every month I was driving that car and it was making noise. And trust me, it, it did get to a point where it's like, okay, Larry, you got to let this thing go. Um, uh, you just need to go get yourself a new car. But what we enjoyed was we saved money for nine years. And I felt like the more I drive this car, the more money I am making. And uh, it kind of got to be a game until it got to really be a, a social embarrassment. But, but here's the best part. For nine years, my wife and I made payments to a savings account in our name. So we had money in the bank when the time came to buy new cars. And we did. We, we both uh, bought new cars. And here's the best part. We didn't spend as much as we had in the bank for those cars. That was the best part about it. And so we, we had the money, but we enjoyed the fact that we picked out cars. We liked them. They're very comfortable for us. Um, we're, we're still driving them now, but you know what? We still didn't spend as much as we saved. Um, so we, we, we bought the cars, and then the money that we had left over, we just put that in our savings account, and uh, we'll use that for something else. But I think it's important that you drive something that you can afford, and I don't mean to sound preachy, but we all know that there's going to be some part of our budget that we bust, and it gets us into trouble. And transportation is one of them because it's a big chunk of your budget. And so if you're in that cycle of having to always buy a new car because you can't afford to maintain it, or you're always in that cycle of leasing, I want you to get out of that because if you can enjoy a few years of no car payments, that gives you the opportunity to save a lot, a lot of money. Uh, it really, really helps. Um, also in your basic lifestyle expenses, you're going to have household expenses that you have to prepare for. So there's going to be utilities, there's going to be repairs, uh, there's supplies that you're going to need. Um, you're going to have to do some remodeling from time to time. And so you'll need some money uh, put on the side to be able to do that. And I find that if you have a budget of about 4%, uh, you're going to be able to do that. So it's the same thing when you buy a home. You have to consider, do I have the ability to maintain this home? What will the cost be if I need to have a new roof? or when the hot water heater breaks, or you know the air conditioning unit or the heating unit goes. You know, what kind of expense am I going to have to have uh, occur when that happens? But I think if you've got about 4%, you're, you're probably going to do OK. I, I think recreation is important. I talked about eating well. And so exercise is going to be important. Um, so I think you should plan on you know, having some kind of a hobby. Hopefully you already do some kind of recreation. You've got to be careful. What can you afford? 
you know, but I think if you had given yourself a budget of about 3%, you, you'll probably be able to uh, afford some kind of hobby or some kind of recreation. Um, my, my wife and I like to run, so it's, it's essentially a free kind of exercise for us because all we need is a good pair of, of, of running shoes and, and we just need a couple of those every year and uh, uh, we do some biking. So we did invest in, um, you know, a good set of bikes, you know, for us to ride in. But um, bikes last, you know, a long, long time. Again, if you maintain them and you take good care of them, you'll, you'll have a bike for a long, long time. So it's not outrageously expensive, uh, and it doesn't require, once we had the initial expense for the bikes and the shoes, we're pretty much good to go. So, um, you know, I think recreation put about 3% aside. Uh, for all of us, uh, particularly for professionals, uh, we need to have uh, life, health, disability, insurance, and things like that. Particularly if you have loans, they're not going to allow you to take out a loan without being properly insured. Uh, but I think it's important that we all be properly insured. And so definitely we need to have health, life, and disability insurance. Um, I would recommend that for staff members as well, particularly if you're a hygienist. Um, unless you plan on doing something else in the event that you become disabled and you can't practice hygiene anymore, then you'll need to have disability insurance or, or you're just going to have to do something else. So unfortunately for all of us, insurance is expensive and it's probably going to take about 7% um, out of your budget. So when you're thinking about insurance, um, keep in mind that there's a lot of individuals who filed for bankruptcy even though they had health insurance. Uh, we heard a lot about that when we went into the recession. Uh, and the problem was because they were underinsured. So they had insurance, but the problem was they didn't have enough. And so I think most of us are going to have to consider a supplemental policy of probably $2 million. Um, unfortunately, if you get into a car wreck um, or something major happens to you, uh, your insurance goes very, very quickly, uh, particularly if you're in an automobile accident, if you're something very, very traumatic. And unfortunately, it, 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 it takes a lot of coverage. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And I'd like to invite you to join us for a valuable, no-cost online training event called Dental Corporate Takeover where we explore the demands that the new dental economy is making on the independent dental practice, what we can learn from private equity-backed corporate practices, and how to separate yourself from the competition. The dental economy is changing in a big way. Competition is on the rise, marketing is becoming less effective and more expensive, and patients don't understand the need for regular comprehensive dental care. And we have to address the elephant in the room. Competition from corporate practices is a reality. And we are in a golden age of private equity-backed dentistry. Today, it is estimated that dentistry is about three to 5% corporate, and the Academy of General Dentistry predicts it will grow to 20 to 25% before it slows. How do you compete with corporate practices who can undercut you on price and have lawyers, professionals to back up business growth? I'm not saying corporate dentistry is bad, but if you can't compete, you will be swallowed up. Join us for a limited time, no cost online training event, Dental Corporate Takeover, 
surviving in the new dental economy. And you can register for this webinar at dentalcorporatetakeover.com. You will learn in this webinar the three critical weaknesses in your business that corporate practices and their private equity backers exploit, what the most successful private practices are doing that you aren't to compete with corporate dentistry, and the simple shift in strategy that top industry experts agree will enable you to not only survive but also thrive in the new dental marketplace. Reserve your spot today at dentalcorporatetakeover.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dental All-Stars. Visit us online at allstardentalacademy.com.